Hey there, everybody. This is Scott Grimes. This is Mark Jackson. This is Patrick Cox. You know, Justin the Ogre. Hi, this is Jessica Zor. This is BJ Tanner. You are tuned into the Planetary Union Network with your host, Lieutenant Commander Portis. Hi, this is Joe Quickle. And I'm Michael May. And this is Planetary Union Network, the official Orville New Horizons podcast. Uh, this week in the fan chair, um, we've got Maddie, who uh, you will definitely know from Twitter. And um, she's kind of a covert operative of ours. So uh, <laughs> welcome, Maddie. Thanks, guys. Glad to be here. So... Um, we were we, we were going for uh, for Tom again. Tom's got some very important things to attend to. So we're not uh, we're, we're we're definitely letting him off the hook, and we'll sync up uh, with him next time. Um, and also, we were going to have Scott on, and schedules just flat didn't work. But look out for an interview with Scott with us uh, in the next couple of weeks. So, yeah, uh, Michael, you want to want to hit it? Let's do it. So. The episode opens with the shuttlecraft. Uh, Tala is returning to the ship after a visit home. And uh, I, so we got new shuttles this season, right? I mean, am I making that up or? No. What? Huh? What you, I don't even know what you're talking about. Yeah. Yeah. There's new shuttles. All right. <laughs> I, I'm not the most observant person in the world, but so this is the first time that it, I really like, appreciated them and got a really good look at them. And damn, they look nice. <laughs> yeah. I think yeah. That- I think that Drexler is the person who redesigned those. I'm not sure. I'm trying to remember back two, three years, but um, Doug Drexler, who I'm sure you guys know who he is. He's got a long history with like Battlestar Galactica and mm-hmm. um, a lot of that stuff. Um, he does a lot of designs and stuff like that. And I think he did the new shuttles and they are sexy. I love them. Yeah, there's like more angles to them or something. The the other ones, you know, kind of had the, like the fluid lines of the of the Orville itself, um, but these differentiate themselves a little bit in uh, in a really cool way. They look nice. Very good companion to the Pterodon. Yeah, yeah. Uh, which I am very excited to see more of. Not not we don't get much of it in this episode, but uh, but bring it back. No, but um, I did like that they showed in the shuttle how they fit the three um the three in there because mm. with the two um you didn't see a lot of room but with the maneuvering how they come in this year um they come in and do the pivot and the pterodon sits right in the middle okay um and so when they come in um they kind of jigsaw down with the pterodon facing in nice. and the two shuttles facing out so nice. Um, I do know that Doug did redesign that shuttle for. So very cool, very cool. I didn't, I didn't pick up on that either. But now I want to go back and watch uh, uh, Tala bring in the shuttle and <laughs> again. Um, we find out that she's early coming back. Uh, she she goes and checks in with Kelly, and uh, she doesn't. Uh, Tala doesn't really get along with her dad so well. Her mom seems to be fine. Um, 
And uh, she also mentions to Kelly that she picked up a faint residue of a Kalon quantum signature nearby, just because she was referring. So Tala, awesome. I, I love her as a security chief. She's she's always working, even when she's on vacation. <laughs> um, yeah. So, um, and Maddie, you, you had a note about the the. Um, <laughs> the Zalean parents kind of being yeah, uh, like, are all the Zalean parents dysfunctional? Right. I am like, <laughs> I am like, do we have daddy issues everywhere on Zalea? Because yeah, yeah, like, said high gravity. Yes, <laughs> it is like compressing their brains or something. Um, but of course, knowing what we know from the end to the beginning, right? I, I have a theory on that whole. Okay, cool. Um, uh, theory on that whole, why we get that little tidbit. Interesting. Are you, you want to hold on to it or you want to, um, I think I'm going to have to wait till I get down where I talk about, um, I have a whole different take on what I think inspired this episode. Everyone's all twilight zone. And I'm like, Nope. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, cool. All right. Yeah. I, I definitely, I was getting twilight zone vibes, but, yeah, it's all right. We'll we'll hold it. Okay. <laughs> um, so we go to the bridge, and Tala has brought back homemade chocolates. Uh, her mom makes them for the bridge crew, um, which that sounds they they look really good. Um, I'm a chocolate fiend, and uh, I was like, mm, I wish I could be there. Uh, Ed <laughs> talks about how dense they are, and uh, I don't know if he, he the way he says it. it neither a compliment nor a criticism. He goes, these are really dense. <laughs> it's, it's, it's the Hollywood compliment. Right. <laughs> um, but uh, Bordas passes uh, on one because he and Clyden are going on vacation soon. And Gordon has encouraged Bordas to get his summer body, <laughs> um, which I, I don't know. This is maybe just wishful thinking. I kind of hope that that's foreshadowing of a future episode where we get to see, you know, some more oh. Mocklin focus as maybe Bordas goes on. Uh, uh, we're on Hulu. I am fully expecting the Mocklin nude beach. I am just like, <laughs> I'm like, we can show butt. So I'm, I am totally expecting Mocklin butt. All right. Now I am too. <laughs> what was the, um, the, the cove of pleasure or something from the, uh, the, the, the hollow, the, 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 yeah. The hollow porn. Yeah. <laughs> yeah I'm like, yeah. let's, let's leave the loincloths. I, I just totally make the two of this, you know, a la South of France, Mocklin nude beach. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, I, mm-hmm. <laughs> we're on Hulu. Uh, so while they're on the, on the bridge, Isaac detects uh, what he calls narrow band electromagnetic emissions, from a nearby planet called Naran one. And it's weird because Naran one is supposed to be completely dead. So they go to investigate and their scans show an advanced civilization, like many you know, cities and, and um, they try to contact the planet. And according to their scans, the, the planet should be able to receive their hails, but nobody's responding. So Ed forms an away team of himself and Kelly um, and Tala and Gordon and Bordas. So let's real quick talk yeah. about 
captains on away teams and why people need to just wrap their brains around it. This is a TV show. And seriously, have you ever watched a sci-fi show? Yeah, I, I tweeted about this. Um, I'm sorry. Uh, from Coming from a literature background, um, being a fan of sci-fi, watching movies and TVs, you know, growing up in the TV age, there is no TV show, there's no disaster show, emergency, police procedural, sci-fi show that ever got anywhere going by perfect protocol. Like, <laughs> have you ever heard of the word plot? Yeah, perfect protocol um, involves playing it safe and not taking risks and uh, um, not having adventures. <laughs> right? Perfect protocol is designed to avoid adventures because adventure by definition is doing something that is um, kind of outside of your control. Yeah. Yeah, and, and all those protocols or most of those usually resulted out of somebody doing something completely insane. Right. So you got to get there first. Yeah. yeah. I mean, we're not going like to do that again. That's what a protocol is. <laughs> yeah. We're, we're pretty sure now that there's going to be protocols about uh, wearing uh, suits when you visit hostile <laughs> conditions, yeah. as we learned last episode. Otherwise, you get alien spores in your nostrils. <laughs> the whole point of uh, Joe even mentioned this earlier when I was talking to him about something else. Have you never seen the original series of Star Trek? Like, never a suit, ever. The first thing they always did was, hey, it's an Earth-based atmosphere. Let's go down. Right, yeah. Um, and Kirk on every away team as yeah. well. Yeah. Kirk, yeah. Uh, yeah, every time. Yeah, which we liked. Like, I remember when Next Generation started, that was a novel thing, the idea that we're going to leave the captain on, captain on the bridge. Like, they, we're not going to put him in danger. Like, that was kind of weird, and I wasn't sure that I liked it. I kind of got used to it. Um, but man, give me, give me the, the butt kicking captain on an away team every time. Well, you notice it didn't last, um, by what True. season three Picard was suddenly in danger a lot. Right. Right. Um, because we need, we need that drive. And, um, the biggest thing about, plot points and moving forward. So you have to have those moments that, you know, drive the next phase. And if people don't make mistakes, then you don't have a reason to do, you know, if people don't do A, you can't do B. And the whole point of plot is that you have to move it forward or it's, it's boring. It's people sitting on a bridge going, Oh, that looks dangerous. Oh, end of show. Funk. <laughs> Um, so as we're, as we're flying down, we get some really nice shots of the shuttle in flight. This, this was really impressive. Just, you know, some of the, almost like the cameras like mounted on the wing of the shuttle and, and, uh, um, so that looked great. And then it's kind of comes out of the clouds and it's flying over these, these mountain forests that all look great. Um, but no sign of civilization. So all the big cities that they were scanning from orbit that they don't see, they just see mountain forests. And uh, so they sat down in the woods and um, they uh, contact Lamar, who is in command of the Orville. Well, as well. 
And uh, his scans also show just these large forests and no more cities. Yeah. There's a beautiful shot of them landing that shuttle. And I just mm -hmm. remembered, I think Brandon is the one who designed the new shuttles. He talked about it. It was his second favorite shuttle. Oh, cool. Or his second favorite ship. Because um, when they land in that forest, um, that shot where they're coming down into the forest and they do that pivot through the tree to land. Um, it's a beautiful shot. And Brandon responded to a tweet talking about that shot. That was really, um, it was a really precise shot. It, it's beautiful. It's, yeah. it's just so integrated. Um, but then I think he did say something about it was his second favorite design. So I'm sorry. Doug did not design that shuttle. I think Brandon did. Cool. Yeah, I remember uh, the exact shot you're talking about of the shuttle landing there and just how, like you said, integrated it is. It just it, it did not feel at all like a, a CG element being plopped into a, um, a filmed environment. Yeah, yeah there's a, a, the second landing. I know we're not there yet. But I'll just mention when they did the second landing, if you look really closely, you see the um, the heat disturbances under mm. the shuttle when it lands on the sand. Wow, that's cool. Uh, yeah, they, they put in those distortions, the moving of the leaves, the distortion of the air. I mean, they really did minute things that you don't really even notice. Yeah, I didn't. But make it so real because that's what you would expect to see. Very cool. Very, very cool. Um, so Bordas, uh, he's got his, uh, his scanner out and he's, he detects life forms not far away, which leads the away team to a 21st century high school in the middle of the forest. Uh, yeah, which is actually, I'm not sure if it's named. There's an actual Oakwood High in North Hollywood. Um, John Cassar did say that that's an actual school that okay. they did the exterior shot on. Gotcha. Um, I don't think it's the actual Oakwood, um, but Oakwood is actually a high school in okay. North Hollywood. It's a kind of sounds like a charter school. It was mm. started in a parent's backyard. Um, oh, wow. And it's um, big on humanities and service and academics. Um, so kind of, almost Waldorf or Montessori for those of you who out there, who might know educational realms, but right. Um, actual high school. Cool. Yeah. So we kind of cut on, uh, on this, this revelation that this high school is in the middle of the woods. Uh, that's where we get the opening credits. And when we come back, uh, we learned that the, the Orville scans, uh, from orbit don't show either the school building or these other life forms that the away team is noticing. <laughs> So the away team goes into the building and immediately get trapped inside. The doors close behind them. They can't get back out again. Um, at first, the halls are empty, but then the bell rings and students come out and they're going to their next classes. And so the team talks to a couple of uh, a couple of students trying to get more information, but neither are very helpful. Very funny interactions, but uh, but the team doesn't get any more information. Um, and about this time, Lamar, uh, the, the Orville no longer detects the away team, uh, on the surface. So Lamar orders a rescue party 
uh, consisting of Isaac and Dr. Fan, and then a security detail. And so we'll kind of follow them a little bit as we, as we go. Um, inside the school, Bordas and Tala invade a history class, um, but they don't get any further in their investigation of what's going on. They just kind of end up annoying the teacher and, and getting kicked out of the classroom. It does seem to be an Earth classroom, though, because they're talking about World War Three, uh, World War One. No, mm. is it one or two? Uh, Nineteen fourteen, World War One. Yeah. Except they call them the Triple Entente, which I don't know. History was never my biggest subject. I don't think that's actually what they called it, but uh, it the little lecture sounded very much like World War One, and the pictures on the wall. Uh, there's one you can see Ford, and there's one you can see Clinton. So. Mm. Uh, definitely seems to be Earth, yeah, century Earth. Uh, uh, for for what it's worth, that that actually was an accurate oh, like, triple entente. Yeah, okay. it was uh, France, Britain, and Russia. Yeah, yeah. I think okay. I was thinking Axis and Allies, but I guess that was World War Two, wasn't it? Right. The Axis, the, yeah, the Axis and Allies. Yeah, 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 yeah. But the the triple entente or entente or however. That is actually pronounced. We we all know from listening to this for years that I'm not that great at pronouncing certain things. <laughs> um, but yeah, that was the that was that was that. So. Okay, cool. I, I just it, it it caught me just because I'm like, since it was kind of Gordon and Gordon is from Earth, I was like, yeah, it is very definitely taking taking something from Earth mid century mm-hmm. or late century, I guess. I think it was in the aughts. It really kind of hit me as early two thousands. Yeah. It was interesting. Cause yeah, Gordon says something about it being a 21st century school. And, you know, I grew up, I went to high school in the 20th century. So to me, it, it looked like a 20th century high school, but it, uh, it looks like both it's, yeah. school designs haven't really changed that much. Not really. No, in fact, that one was remarkably clean and um, not used. Yeah, yeah. But they um, do have an eye of the tiger sign up in the hallway because it's the tiger. Uh, <laughs> cool. There's, there's a, a pep club or pep rally sign that talks about the eye of the tiger. So I was like, oh, right. there we go. There's a, there's an 80s reference. <laughs> yeah. Imagine that, an 80s reference in the Orville. <laughs> yeah, another thing that people yeah. need to wrap their brains around. Yeah, <laughs> kind of hard to reference twenty fifth century things. Yeah, and kind of boring when they do, like Star Trek. Yeah, well, too, and and so and so's poetry. I was like, who cares? Yeah, talk to me more about Shakespeare, please. Yeah. Um. So they kind of split up. So we talked about Boris and Tala going off in 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 look into this history class. Gordon, meanwhile, is jumped by a bunch of bullies. They put him in the bathroom and demand money for somebody named Randall. And uh, they wail on him, man. They stick his head in the toilet. Um, and uh, I was a little concerned for him. I also it, it kind of raised the question in my head about how much like hand-to-hand combat training uh, uh, union officers receive. And... Uh, I don't know. Not that I think Gordon should have been able to completely fight off these three bullies, but um, I I kind of expect him to put up more resistance than he did. Yeah. Yeah. Gordon. 
Also, that <laughs> toilet was way too clean for a 20th century, 21st century um, high school. Yeah. Um, but yeah, Gordon doesn't hit me as the hand to hand type. Although right. he, he does redeem himself in the next vignette. So, or mm. in the next part of this scene. So. Right. Oh, right. But yeah. Um, although there's some, there was, those were some hefty bullies. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and I'll just interject here too, that like at this point in the episode, I am really into this mystery. Like I have no idea what's going on. I have no idea what this high school is about. Um, I have no idea. Like at this point, we don't know that we're going to see a series of these kind of vignettes, as you said, Manny. Um, so I, I, I was really invested, um, in the mystery aspects of this story, uh, pretty much right up to the very end. Yeah. I had told Joe, I had a theory early on, but I thought that this vignette was the whole story. Right. Uh, I I thought Mm -hmm. it was about the teenagers. So, yeah. Yep. Yep. Same. Um, (laughs) it, it all like my favorite part of this whole thing is they go to the cafeteria and, um, there's a couple of interactions there that I just delight me. Um, mostly because Bordas is <laughs> involved. Um, <laughs> but they, they attempt to sit with some mean girls and the lead mean girl says that there are no seats available, even though there clearly are. <laughs> Bordas <laughs> says, I am prepared to take them by force. <laughs> But Ed decides to uh, let that drop. We're going to move on. Uh, but before they do, Gordon tells Bordas to tell the mean girl that she has a five head, <laughs> which <laughs> really bothers her. She's just shocked. Her friend's like, no, you don't have a five head. <laughs> yeah. Uh, that, is, that, uh, that is also why I think it's the early aughts, because um, that's when beauty blogging was really kind of coming out. And for mm. anyone who doesn't know, for a beauty blogger, a five head is a huge insult because you're supposed to be able to fit four fingers between your eyebrows and your hairline. Okay. And saying that you have a five head means that you have a really big prominent forehead, which is ironic that Bordas tells someone. (laughs) (laughs) Bordas has like, you know, Neanderthal forehead, uh, just all forehead. Um, So, I, I found the humor of that <laughs> going because if I was a mean girl, that that would have been my first thing would be like, "Hey, who are you calling a head? <laughs> but it was a great insult, and of course, Gordon would know that. Of course, yeah, <laughs> he would not only know it, but then he would whisper it to Bordas so that Bordas could deliver it. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Um, so the team does find an approachable table. I kind of like, at first I was kind of trying to peg them as nerdy kids. They're not really that nerdy looking, but they, you know, they reveal that they get picked on a little bit. So, um, I don't know, but they're, they're approachable. They invite the team to sit down. Um, and the team learns that Randall is a bully who extorts protection money from students. And, uh, I just, <laughs> I like this one kid. He says, we've all been through it. I had to do it all freshman year. Then I got like massive on TikTok and he stopped messing with me because my followers would flame his gram. Yeah. <laughs> and Boris is just, what? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that, that probably puts this more in the teens than the aughts. But mm-hmm. there you go. And just, well, yeah, when was TikTok? When did that? Yeah, that's not uh, that long. Early, uh, early teens or 
late teens. Yeah. Like 15, 2015, 2016, maybe. Oh, it seems like it just blew up. Yeah. Um, so when, when did um, the show go to Comic-Con in New York? Was that 2018? Okay. So, uh, yes. So Jay Lee did a TikTok dance with somebody's sister. Um, mm. I think maybe Kyra, um, maybe Jessica's sister. Um, and everybody was like TikTok dance. It was it had been going on for about a year at that point. So maybe 2018. Yeah, I probably have my times wrong on that. So um, I, I did just. Did just look it up, and it was apparently the initial release date was in September of 2016. Okay. But but again, that that's the initial release date, and no one would have, at least being that it was a uh, you know it was a Chinese uh, video service, we wouldn't have had that for a couple of years by that point, probably. Yeah. And According I, to I think people were still people were still making vines then in the U.S. Right. Yeah, I think so. Yeah. Or um, Periscopes? Isn't that the one that went with Instagram? Didn't they do Periscope? Periscope, uh, yeah, Periscope is a live, um, or you can do live stuff with Periscope. That still exists, or at least it did a year or so ago. <laughs> that is not my vibe, man. I do have TikTok, but that is not my vibe. <laughs> Um, so they also learn, the crew learns that Randall hangs out behind the bleachers, um, which they don't immediately decide to go find it, but in a little while, they're going to decide they need to go talk to this guy. So that's where they're going to go. So they go outside and, uh, what, what they find when they go outside is there's more of the school campus there now. So there's no forest, there's no shuttle. We see like the athletic field off in the background. Um, so they go to the athletic field, they find Randall who is not just another student. He's basically a rancor monster with a giant ax. Of course he is. <laughs> uh, which was great. I was, cause I was a little, like I said earlier, I was, I kind of had expected to see Gordon fight, you know, put up a little bit of resistance, but I definitely, like I was not afraid of a high school bully facing off against Tala, for instance, um, so they needed to do something different to uh, kind of beef up the threat. And boy, did they. And Randall's, he's a cool looking monster. He's got a really awesome axe. Um, and he just, he goes for the kill. Like you know, the very first yeah. thing he just runs up and he swings the axe at the team. Um, it's a pretty great fight. Uh, Gordon does top. redeem himself. He gets into that fight. Go- yeah, true, true. Um and Tala, man, she uh, uh, she breaks off an aluminum bench or part of it, the, like the back of it, and throws it at Randall. So another great Tala fight scene in, in two episodes here. And yeah. uh, if you're going to be on a field, you might as well use a track and field javelin. Yeah. Kind of <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, and she embeds it in his face. Like I don't know. She probably takes an eye out. I never got a really good look. Um. At, at exactly where it hit, but um, I guess right before that, though, Randall had picked up Gordon in one hand and was like screaming at him, like maybe about to bite his head off. 
and uh, Gordon's eyes suddenly go white, and you can tell like something's happening to him. He just kind of goes into a little bit of a trance for a second. Um, but then when Tala hits Randall, uh, then he Randall drops Gordon, and the, the team is able to uh, escape. Um, yeah, so they run back to the school, uh, but when they go inside, they now find themselves in an airplane. Yeah, they got to quit going through doors. <laughs> that's, that's the theme of this show. Quit running through doors, dude, because yeah. as soon as you do, the door shuts. Yeah, yeah. And you're not going, no moving backwards through this maze. Yeah. Um, But before we find out too much about the airplane, uh, we have Finn and Isaac's party landing, and they only see the massive desert that they would expect to find on Naran 1. They also see the first shuttle, but they detect no other life forms, including the away team. So um, back on the airplane, though, it's flying through a storm and Gordon notices that the pilots seem to be deliberately steering them into turbulence. He's not concerned about the storm, but he says something like, you know, we'll hit like a nice pocket of air and then they will lower or raise the ship into kind of the rough stuff, as he says. Yeah, there's. That's a great th- throwback. Um, so if everyone loved lasting impressions from season two, mm. and one of the really big keys were that was that Laura was afraid of flying. And Gordon explains flying to her, the turbulence and all that kind of stuff. Right. And then in this one, he does the same thing again, where he's talking about turbulence and um, Tal is like, oh, what about lightning? And yeah. he's like, no, no, they're for it so it's kind of fun that he gets to be in his element right and and talk them through it and and this is the place where i i completely dispute the twilight zone references because <laughs> if they were going to do a twilight zone throwback tala would have looked out that window and seen a gremlin <laughs> uh, twilight zone terror at twenty thousand feet the shat sitting on a plane yeah with the gremlin. So I, I'm, I'm just going to say, if it was a well, episode, we would have got a gremlin. Somebody did. And, and yeah, I mean, even, even twilight zone has done that three times now. Yeah. So it's a classic episode. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, they keep changing the altitude, right. but, um, <laughs> the, uh, um, yeah, the original one is always, is always a favorite. Then in the, in the movie they did that with, uh, with John Lithgow. Right. Yeah. And, um, then Adam Scott, uh, was, uh, was in the role in, um, in the, the, uh, the reboot, boot. the reboot series. Yeah. That, uh. um, Jordan Peele put together. Yeah. Cool. I, I didn't really see that one. Ed to look out the window and go, what's that? And then to go, what? And they're like, Oh, nothing. I thought I saw something. on the wing. Yeah. There's something on the wing. Yeah. <laughs> I, I really, yeah. When you mentioned Shatner in the original episodes, like, yeah, we really needed Ed <laughs> to be the one looking out there. Yeah. So that's, that's one of, that's my, dis- that's one of my disputes on this is not twilight zone. Right. <laughs> Um, so it gets really bad and, uh, and the team led by Gordon forces their way into the cockpit, uh, past the super annoying flight attendant. She had been kind of mildly annoying up until this point, but she gets really bad here. Um, and, but they find out there are no pilots flying this thing. 
And when the flight attendant continues to insist that they return to their seats, ignoring the fact that no one is flying this plane, Kelly says she's really annoying and, and punches her. Which yeah, was, point, was welcome. I am just waiting for Kelly to punch every annoying email guest star. <laughs> <laughs> so um Kelly's role. <laughs> <laughs> so in, in on, on the airplane, and I know we've still got some some points to talk about with it, but uh, um, did anybody happen to recognize the voice of the captain coming from the cockpit? No. Uh, I, I only know because I made a guess and I failed. Um, <laughs> and I was informed that... That, that that voice had something to do with something that was tweeted recently. So the uh, the so, so Michael the voice in the, uh, of the of the captain coming from the cockpit uh, was the patron saint of the Planetary Union Network, Tom Costantino. Oh, awesome! <laughs> awesome. That was so, the video that he's running a contest on, which hopefully this comes out. After. He is, and and I and I've been talking to Tom and. Um, Making sure that that I I was going to record this anyway, but making sure that I cleared it to to put it out. But he's going to stop uh, by the time that everybody listens to this when it comes out later this afternoon. He will have already cut the contest. Cool. I, I thought he was one of the passengers. There's a guy who looks like him, um, and I was like, "Is this you?" And he's like, "Fail." Um, <laughs> I was like. First of all, the guy has earphones in, which if you've ever seen Tom, he constantly has those AirPod wired um, headphones in. Um, but then I should have known it wasn't Tom because he was sleeping and Tom never sleeps. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I've, I've seen uh, I've seen on Twitter and around a lot of guesses and a lot of guesses of the same the same person. Anybody who's wearing glasses tends to get. <laughs> Put in there, but um, but yeah, you you guys were looking for a uh, for an actual physical cameo, and when Tom never said that uh, said that he was a face. that that it was his his face in there. But, right. I almost that the TikTok Instagram guy, the student at the table, was Tom because he had the wavy <laughs> black hair, he had the glasses, and he. Um, he blew up on, actually, I think he says Twitter. I blew up on Twitter. He doesn't say TikTok. He says Twitter. I blew up on Twitter, but no one would hurt me because they go attack him on the gram. And I'm like, Tom is such a social media savvy guy. I'm like, that's Tom in high school. But, nope. So, anyway. Yeah. <laughs> um, that's cool. That's cool to know. So, uh, Gordon does fly the plane, but uh, it just gets worse and worse. The engines die. Um, he has to glide the plane into a crash landing. And, and the terrain is like these really craggy snow covered mountains. And uh, just when it's looking especially bad, Ed's eyes go white, just like Gordon's did before. Um, but long story short, Gordon lands the plane and uh, they go back and look at the, the passenger cabin. Everybody has disappeared now. And when the team leaves the plane, they find themselves in a Mocklin morgue. Uh, we don't know what it is at first, but uh, once they kind of reach the main chamber with all the, the kind of these cool suspended kind of floating caskets, um, the board is able to identify what it is. Um, 
Tala unintentionally opens the caskets. Like this kind of panel goes onto her and um, I don't know. We were talking about protocols before. Maybe a protocol is don't touch panels when uh, <laughs> they just kind of go yeah. on yeah, next to you. Don't touch the flashing button. Right. <laughs> but they're flashing. Uh, but she opens up the the the, the caskets and uh, so there's these Mocklin bodies inside, and Bordas sees one and is that himself? Like I, I have a really hard time differentiating between Mocklin faces, unfortunately. But um, is that himself that he sees there, or is it just a, a no, random? Kind of looked like Clyden a little bit, but yeah. I, I think it was just generic Mocklin. Okay, it, it really didn't. I, I didn't recognize him. Okay. Uh, yeah. Clyden crossed my mind too, but I haven't seen him all season. So it, his face I, is even less, uh, in, face burned is in my mind. shorter. He's, he's got a rounder face. Yeah. So it didn't really look like Clyden either. Um, but yeah, whoever, everybody, every, everybody put your theories, uh, Post, the, post those to us. We're, we're curious what everyone, who everyone yeah. thinks it is. Is it a generic Mocklin? Is it Boris? Is it Clyden? Yeah. Is, it's, is, it, it, is, is it Toba? I don't know. <laughs> yeah, because it seems to really bother him. It's almost as if he recognizes the person. Um, yeah, parent, maybe a parent. Could maybe, be a parent. Maybe. I also thought it looked kind of like, and I can't remember his name, but Tala's um, love interest in oh, the collectors. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Lokar. Lokar. Thank you. Um, I know he was on the show last year too. So, or he was on your guys's, wasn't he? Wasn't Lokar? Yeah. Yeah, 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 he was. Um, so I, I kind of thought maybe it was him too. I actually saw those pods in person. Uh, they were on set while I was on my oh, last cool. set visit. Um, and he was like, I was like, what are those? And they were, of course, they were like, oh, they're Mocklin death pods or whatever they called them. And I was like, I immediately was like, oh, is Lucar coming back? Are we going to, you know, what's going on? And um, <laughs> of course, Tom being Tom was like, nope, not saying anything. Because <laughs> Tom is like so incredibly closed mouth. Even if you're on an NDA, Tom won't tell you crap. Um, <laughs> but Tom loves the reveal. So I don't blame him for not telling spoilers. No, I don't blame him either. I, I, I remember the interview that Joe did with Seth recently. Where Seth said basically the same thing. I was like, "Why would I? I don't want to spoil that for you. I want you to yeah. see that for yourself." Yeah, and I expected a an, an answer like that, which is why I even popped the question in there. So uh, <laughs> I, I just, yeah, yeah, which I appreciate. Yeah. I appreciate that attitude. Yeah, I, I did too. I, I, I appreciate. I love spoilers. But that's just me, but I still love it when I'm surprised. And yeah, uh, Tom is really good at that. So. But besides, it gives me a chance to go wild on theories, and I always have theories. Ask Joe. Yeah, yeah. And speaking of theories, like like Joe said, I would love to hear people's theories on who that is in the casket. Because um, uh, yeah, it does really seem to bother him, uh, and then that specific person seems to to really attract him. Um, but then the the Mocklin in the casket kind of comes to life and starts strangling Bordas. And it's at this point that Bordas's eyes also go white. Um, but the team is able to pull him free and uh, another door opens, revealing a long staircase leading down into seemingly infinite darkness. Yup. And I will talk about that on my theory that we'll talk about in a little bit. Okay. 
<laughs> I know you were waiting for me to say it, but I'm going to wait and do the All right. reveal. <laughs> Uh, so meanwhile, back on the Orville, Lamar orders Finn and Isaac to return to the Orville since they haven't been able to learn or find anything. And he's not willing to risk like another party kind of going off and disappearing. Um, so, um, we, when we're back to the planet, we have the away team going down these stairs. Um, and it's just this really cool striking image of this, this enormously long staircase surrounded by darkness. Um, and then finally at the very bottom after a while, we see a little blue kind of doorway. And when they go through that, they're now outside um, uh, at a lake uh, and Tyler uh, recognizes it as being a specific lake on her home world of Salea. Um, so, and Ed observes, okay, if this is Salea, then this has to be an illusion because we would be all dead from the gravity. If, uh, if this was the real place. Um, Gordon spots a light in the hills on the other side of the lake and it's flashing kind of in these repeated intervals, like some kind of a signal, like somebody's trying to communicate. Did anybody else look up Morse code or am I the only person? Uh, I did not. I mean, I thought of Morse code, but I didn't actually look up to see what the the letters might be. I kind of looked to see if it was SOS and it wasn't. And I think we lost it because I think, and I could totally be talking out my butt here, but it seems to be, um, two long, three shorts, okay. which in Morse code is SM. So <laughs> Seth McFarlane. <laughs> nice. Um, it, it, the, on the actual show, it's one long, three short, two long, which is TSM. But I think maybe we didn't get that first one. And I, in my head canon, I'm just saying that that thing was signaling three shorts, two longs, SM, Seth McFarlane. <laughs> nice. It's very meta. It knows that Ed and Seth are the same person. Yeah. <laughs> Until proven otherwise, that's that's what it is. Yeah. That's yeah it's I'm going on the wiki. It's my story. I'm sticking to it. <laughs> uh, Tala spots a raft on shore. So Ed wants to take it across the lake with Tala and Gordon to investigate the light. And uh, Kelly pulls a Riker and orders ed to stay behind because first of all he's got a nasty head wound from the the plane crash um but she also says like you know we don't know you could have a concussion don't want to put you at further risk of something dangerous is causing that light over there so she takes his place on the raft and yeah. and uh, ed and board to stay behind also wasn't a very big raft i don't know that you could have put five people on that raft but... right right um i, I also... love that raft though i love uh, um there's a really cool kind of behind the scenes picture popped up on Twitter. I think on Jessica's account, maybe, but it was just her and um, Adrian kind of hanging out on that raft together. It was yeah. cool. Um, so halfway across the lake, the light goes out and uh, they had kind of speculated before, like, hey, what is this light? And it could be like somebody, it could be the person who is, doing all this to us who's trying to you know draw us towards them so they can explain or maybe it's somebody in the same situation we are or it's a trap and it seems like it's probably a trap because as soon as the light goes out this ginormous lake creature uh we see it kind of swim under the under the raft um but then it attacks and uh it pulls kelly in and then tala jumps in to save her and as Tala is 
and, and we it's another cool kind of Tala super moment, superhero moment because she's swimming way fast and uh, as fast as the the late creature. Um, she gets down there. She's trying to pull Kelly out of the tentacles, and then we see a close up of Kelly's eyes as they go white. Uh, but Tala gets Kelly free, and and uh, the raft returns to Ed and Bordas on shore. And as they're explaining, Tala mentions that she also felt the same out-of-body experience that the others have described when their eyes turned white. So I know we've already found out by this point that um, they know that they're not on actually or actually on Zalea, but mm-hmm. that swimming fast um, and Tala's strength is another indicator that they actually aren't. <laughs> because right. they would, she would just be normal, nor- normal Zalea and actually on the planet. Yeah, exactly. Good point. Um, so then what looks like a cathedral door appears out of nothing. Well, let me, before the cathedral door, let me just say that I was, I wasn't suspicious of Tala at the, at the time, but I did notice like we didn't see her eyes turn white, but she says that they did. Um, yeah, was that like, was. That was my light bulb moment. Yeah, like, it was a little red flag for me. It wasn't a full light light bulb for me, but yeah, I didn't quite catch it then. But I was like, "Wait, we two people haven't done it before, and we didn't see her eyes go white." But I didn't actually make the connection. But that was my first right. red flag. Yes. Yeah. Um, but anyway, this cathedral door kind of appears out of nowhere, and uh, Ed declares that he has had enough <laughs> and he's not playing this game anymore. Yeah, Mercer got mad. Yeah, he did. His, <laughs> um, he uh, he leads them away from the door and into the hills. And uh, after a while, Bordis' scans pick up a power signature coming from a cave. So they investigate, which feels a little like they're still playing the game. But again, like I don't know what else they're going to do. Like They can't just not explore possibilities if yeah. it's going to possibly... Did you guys catch the moment? Um one of the things that Seth had talked about in one of his interviews, I can't remember which one is that he went, I think, I think it was your interview that he wanted to give the fan moments. Mm. Was that? Yeah, I think it was ours. Yeah. He did so say he that. Talked about the, you know, the double star Wars moon thing. Yeah. As they go walking away from that cathedral door, mm-hmm. you get a night lit mountain and you see their silhouettes walking up the mountain. Right. With the, beams of the moon coming down and the music right there is in fact i went back and watched it a couple of times because i was trying to figure out if i've heard that music before um but it's beautiful music with them walking on that silhouette of light up the hill and i was like there's the moment (laughs) he talked about wanting to give fans those moments and i was like that's a visual moment and i I maybe it's just me, but that that first thing I thought of was that interview of I want to give them moments, and I was like, "That's a beautiful moment." Yeah, yeah, yeah. It is it, it, the whole sequence. Like I was doing past it because there's nothing going on plot wise, but but it is like this extended sequence of them just kind of wandering through the wilderness, and you do get the sense that they are just wandering, like they're just they have no direction because the direction they've been given, they're rejecting because they know that it's a trap. They know it's just part of this game that's being played with them. Um, so we just, we get, I kind of, kind of got a little fellowship of the ring vibe, you know, yeah. it's just like this montage of like them just kind of 
walking through scenery and definitely like that's something that would have gotten cut if it was still on Fox. Like yeah. we wouldn't well, have time I, for all of it. I really like that moment with Ed, you know, can I cuss on this? Oh yeah. Are, yeah. Are yeah. 13 yeah. where he says, you know, we're tired with the, you know, we're done with the bullshit because right. I, I even told Tom, this was like the sweary episode because <laughs> it was all totally appropriate, but we got hell. We got little bitch. We got, um, God damn it. And then we get bullshit. And um, when they first go up to the high school and Tala says, hey, we should pull our weapons. And the pained look on Mercer's face mm-hmm. when he, he realizes they have to go in with their weapons drawn. Because that's that's not Mercer. Mercer is not a pull the gun first and let's go in shooting guy. Right. Um, and that is, that is core Ed. And it's kind of the it's kind of the Picard versus the Kirk mm-hmm. on Ed, which I hate start. I hate Star Trek references um, being used to define the Orville, but it really is that kind of moment. But then he gets to the part where he's like, this is bullshit. We're, we're going to go off and we're going to go where we want to go. And that's his Kirk moment. Um, I, I love that, that juxtaposition of the sides of Ed's command. And when they go wandering off and he's leading them up that mountain, I am like, you know, he is done. He's done. It was like, you know, I gave you every benefit of the doubt. I did not go in guns blazing. I, I tried to work with you, but yeah, we're done now. Yep. Yeah. I, I appreciate you bringing back the moments, uh, a comment that he made in that interview too, because um, I think that's been really true this season so far that when, so that interview came out after we recorded the first episode um, of the, of the podcast after the first episode of the, of the season. And um, what came to my mind when he, he talked about wanting to create those moments was that scene in the first episode where uh, Dr. Finn goes to the simulator and um, recreates the restaurant where she and Isaac had had her date. And we talked about in that episode, how we just, that scene gives her time to like completely like walk around the whole table and, and sit at it and just act to just to be grieved in this very kind of extended scene. Like that was definitely a big moment that. um, Well, and Isaac looking out the window or the, what do they call them on the spaceship? The view screens or looking out the windows and the, the swell of music behind that. Um, I know that Seth has always loved music and he puts it in everything he does, but I will say that the, the music they've done this year, the redoing of the main intro, these moments that he's created, Mm -hmm. he has really pulled, we you know, the visuals, the music, the stop still moments of characters who are just taking the moment and pausing and breathing and letting all those elements come together. Right. Those moments are what you remember. Yep. Absolutely. Um, so back in the cave, they, they find this machine and they figure out that it's a holographic power generator and uh, it's got a shield around it, but they're able to disable that. They're able to destroy the thing. And once they destroy it, they realize they're still, they're back in the desert of the real Naran one. Their shuttle is nearby. And uh, 
So they, they think that they've beat this thing. So they contact Lamar, return to the ship um, with the remains of the holographic generator for, for Lamar to uh, kind of um, explore, or I don't know what the word is I'm looking for, but uh, examine. Um, and Lamar and Isaac discovered that the generator was made by the Kalon, which connects with this thing from the early part of the episode where Tala said she had observed this Kalon, this Kalon quantum trail uh, in the system. And so they've kind of put two and two together. They think that this generator may be part of some new Kalon strategy to overcome the Union Krill. Um, I think it's Ed who says something about if, uh, you know, if they can control our perception of reality, then that makes us much more conquerable because um, we, we won't even know that we've been conquered. Um, so then they go to consult with Admiral Halsey. So another big yay for me, uh, for Victor Garber. Um, and Halsey says he's going to send a tactical convoy and a science vessel to meet the Orville, uh, at the planet and then further investigate. The convoy arrives though. And Isaac insists that they are not union ships, but Kalon vessels. Um, and I like, there was this nice conflict with Charlie over this. Like she totally still doesn't trust Isaac, um, which was cool to see because like there've been a f- few bridge interactions earlier where she's just kind of basically taking the Gordon approach and just ignoring Isaac. Um, but it was kind of a nice callback to the first episode to see that she still really is like distrustful of him yeah. and, uh, and ready to, Charlie. to, to fight him. Wait, Charlie. <laughs> I appreciate the arc that I know Charlie is probably on. Yeah. Um, I really do. But Charlie is on my last nerves already. And I know <laughs> it's it's probably because I'm an Isaac stan. I, I mean, I love Isaac. Fair. Fair. Um, yeah. I, 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 am, I guess between the two of them, I'm team Isaac. But I do also, like, you know, I... I understand her perspective and um, I think she definitely in that first episode took it too far, but uh, um, yeah, I'm also, like you said, just on board for whatever arc she happens to be on. Um, but Ed doesn't listen to her. He listens to Isaac. They go on red alert and turns out Isaac's right. The ships are Kalon. There's a really big fight. The Orville seems to be in trouble and just in the thick of it, we cut to the Orville bridge with no red alert and Lamar is still in the command chair and uh, the communications officer who's kind of in Bordas' station reports that Tala is hailing them, but not from the planet. Tala is in the shuttle on her way back from leave. And she's been waiting for them at the rendezvous point for three hours. Um, and the Isaac on this bridge confirms that there's still no sign of the landing party on the planet surface. So, something's going on <laughs> yeah that really tripped me out there they're like whoa wait a minute yeah <laughs> yeah yeah and it was a little hard to keep track of okay what reality or what level of reality are we like a little inception kind of thing going on here like <laughs> who's who's hallucinating what um it all makes sense it all holds together uh but it was i kind of had to to keep up a little bit um, but back on the red alert Orville, the Kalon are about to destroy the ship and it's, it's wild. Like Ed has ordered all hands to escape pods. We got the sphere 
you know, basically kamikaze diving at the the bridge. And just as it gets there, the simulation freezes. And there's this gorgeous shot of like the exterior as this frozen Kalon sphere is about to impact the Orville. Uh, but back on the bridge, Tala transformed into this alien. And there's quite a long conversation. We'll condense it down to basically her name is Dinal. And she's from that time phase planet that Kelly accidentally corrupted uh, at the very end of season one. And they have now, uh, Ed would say evolved. She, you know, contests that term. She says we had more to do with it than evolution. Um, but they are immortals now. Um, and, uh, they no longer understand death. They don't know what death is like. They, they can't experience it. They aren't afraid of it. So they want to do all of that vicariously um, through the away team. And that's what this whole experiment has been about. Like, um, so every time the uh, their eyes went white, it was when Dinal or maybe another of her species were uh, kind of sharing their consciousness so that they could experience that moment of imminent death in a way that they've never been able to do before. Okay. So shall, shall I do my big reveal on what I think this throws back let's do it yeah yeah so someone no i didn't see anyone else catch this except for one person who was like oh big staircase that's from dreamscape um i'm pretty sure michael you have seen this movie because you and i seem to line up pretty well on yeah totally have if you have not watched dreamscape i'm telling you right now go to prime video it's free and watch dreamscape it is 1984 or 5 it is classic 80s sci-fi fantasy horror thing. Um, it has Dennis Quaid in it. Mm-hmm. Um, Max von Schneider, um, Eddie Albert, uh, Christopher Plummer. It, yeah. it, is, it is quintessential for that time period. Um, the plot has 20 million mile holes in it. It is, it is <laughs> cheesy beyond belief. The dialogue is awful. Uh, Dennis Quaid is definitely two hits into his daily high acting on it. Uh, it, it is just everything that is so in the, the sci-fi effects are so blocky. It is everything that people hate about that genre. And I love it so much. <laughs> I love this movie. Um, and of course, when I saw that staircase, the first thing I did was like, Ooh, dreamscape. Um, yeah. But Oh my God, it's even deeper than that. And I could totally, again, I could just be projecting, but here is my wild theory. How did, how did they get, have we, I'm sorry, I cut out for a few minutes. I lost it. Have we talked about, has Tala been revealed at this point? Yes. Yes. So how did Tala build this? How did she know about all this stuff about Tala? Because Tala wouldn't have just let anybody, you know, pick her brains. Um, If you saw Dreamscape, and I will not give you the whole gist of the movie because you need to go watch it. But the whole part of Dreamscape was that they figured out a way with a machine to connect people into people's dreams, into their subconscious. And we, we had dreams in the first episode, but look at the vignettes we did. Look at how it doesn't matter what you say. If you tell people I don't dream, they're lying. Everybody dreams. Mm. 
our subconscious is where everything that we don't say out loud comes through. Right. Tall as dad. Um, maybe Gordon was bullied. Um, you know, these fears and stuff. Denal is trying to figure us out. And how would you do that better than by getting into our subconscious, into our dreams? And the premise of the movie had that someone could step from outside into a dreamer's dreamscape. Um, and if you're younger than me, it may be closer to the matrix than dreamscape. Mm-hmm. But when they came back, the first thing that um, they did was get brain scans. Dr. Finn did brain scans. And they said, yeah, there's been some things in your, and she called it neurogenic, I believe, mm-hmm. um, system. And that's basically your nervous system. But it's that's how they showed that people got hurt because it's your nervous system. And so your nervous system believes you got hurt. So you did get hurt and you feel it, even though it's a holograph. That mm. was dreamscape. That was the matrix. If you got hurt in the matrix or the dreamscape, you got hurt in real life. If you died there, you died here. Mm-hmm. So I think that this is what it was. It was what tre- people truly believe. No matter what they say or how they act, you cannot change what your subconscious believes. You cannot change what you would do if you were in a life or death situation in your dreams because your subconscious, your real inner self, is what comes out. That is where you hide your secrets. That is where everything that you are is formed. And so Mm. I think it was not the Twilight Zone. I think it was dreamscape. (laughs) It's a great analogy. It's a great analogy. And you make me want to watch that show again, that movie. I watched it yesterday. Uh, (laughs) It is so cheesy. Eddie Albert plays the president of the United States. Oh, he's great. there's an ending to that that is so wonderful um yes go watch Dreamscape but I and I don't know (coughs) excuse me I don't know if Seth or Cherry either one have seen Dreamscape but if they haven't great minds think alike because it played perfectly (laughs) and it builds into the so morality paradox that was the name of this show. Um, and Ed has a great thing at the end. But how we see ourselves, how we imagine ourselves in the future, that's all subconscious. That's all in our brains. And our mm. nervous system takes over. That fight or flight takes over. And I think it it just meshes so well with it. So I, I like looking for the layers. And I see those layers. Yeah, and it's it, it meshes well with something that Denial tells them, which she says it's it's a really kind of quick line, but she says like you know we we read I don't know she says the word subconscious, but we you know we basically pulled these scenarios from your brains um, and other cultural references, like they were able to you know scan cultural archives or you know something I don't know, but but yeah she she says that we pulled all this from you. Yeah, if you look at, um, so I don't believe in astrology and all that stuff, but you can't hide the fact that there are, there's two schools of thought thought on there's either three or nine basic dreams that everyone has. Um, Drowning, 
running and not being able to get anywhere, falling, mm-hmm. dying, uh, showing up in school and realizing you haven't studied for the test and you don't know right. what's going on. They pull those archetypal dreams. And where do dreams live? They live in our subconscious, in our um, in our dreams, in our brains. When we can't control it at night, our brains pull up these archetypes. Um, and that's what they pulled it from. All those vignettes fit into those classic, yeah. everyone has those dreams. That's good. That's good stuff. Um, so the, the final scene is the, the team has kind of gathered in the mess hall for a drink and they're talking about, you know, all of this stuff still, they're talking about death and, uh, Ed has a couple of interesting comments. He says, he talks about how one thing that they and Dinar's people have, um, Dinar's people have is that it's impossible for them to visualize death and, uh, there's some discussion around that. Uh, Gordon talks about visualizing his funeral. And it's like, that's not what I'm talking about. Kelly says something about blackness or, you know, emptiness. And he, it's like, well, you're still talking about it from your perspective of you are seeing this blackness and this darkness, which that's still not really accurate. And Bordas offers the, um, what Ed calls the conventional philosophy that death is an essential part of the experience of living. And Ed says, I don't really buy that either. Um, and then he just kind of finishes the episode by saying, I think Gordon says, so if you could live forever, would you? And, and Ed says, yeah, I would, because I want to see what happens. Um, which I don't know. I, I definitely don't completely agree with Ed in this, in, in all of his comments, but I really like that last statement because that's, I feel that way too. Like I, I think of all the reasons to, um, you know, to, to want to live forever. And there are lots of reasons not to, and I've read all this, you know, a lot of science fiction stories about the, the drawbacks of immortality. Yeah. Queen um, is playing in my head now. <laughs> you know, <Yeah. laughs> who, who wants to live forever. Right. <laughs> Mary Shelley has an awesome short story about a, about an immortal yeah. um, that I can't even remember the name of now, but it was, it was yeah. very profound and, talks about how no you really don't want to do that um but the most convincing argument on the pro side of immortality is i want to see what happens uh, because i could definitely relate to that yeah i um so when this title first came out oh i don't know i can't remember when i was talking to you about when i had the teenager theory um because so i looked up mortality paradox a couple of Mm -hmm. weeks ago and would it be like really lame for me to read this definition that I stuck in the show notes? No. Do so it. there's a book by Stephen Cave. Um, I don't think he's the originator of this theory. I found a bunch of different people, but he wrote a book called Immortality, the Quest to Live Forever and How It Drives Civilization. Um, and he describes the more uh, mortality paradox. And it's, it sounds very close to what Ed said. Um, so it's, Our awareness of ourselves, of the future, and of alternate possibilities enables us to adapt and make sophisticated plans, but it also gives us a perspective on ourselves that is at the same time terrifying and baffling. On the one hand, our powerful intellect comes in except, I can't say this word, inexorably, I can't say that word, to the conclusion that we, like all other living things around us, must one day die. 
Yet on the other, the one thing that these minds cannot imagine is the very state of non-existence. It is literally inconceivable. Death, therefore, presents itself as both an inevitable and an impossible. Yeah. And that's, that's good. That's what the multiphasic people have lost. Um, right. So I know Seth is a big reader. I don't know if that's the actual book he read, um, but it was very close. And so when I was looking up the titles, I found this passage um, before he had even said it. And I, I was like, uh, yeah. So when I did the show notes, I, I went back and found it and put it in because I was like, there it is. So there. Yeah. Yeah. That's pretty much exactly his argument yeah. at the end. Although I will say that there is a second definition of mortality paradox, and it is that women over the course of a lifetime have more illnesses, but they live longer than men. So we get sicker than men, but we live longer than men. So that was there too. And I briefly thought that mortality paradox might give us um, a return to the Mocklin women. Uh, Mm, mm. So, I was kind of playing with both, but once I knew the teenagers were in the episode, I popped back to this one, but yeah. Um, and again, that's what I love is I love this multi-layered stuff. Um, I was joking with, uh, Pedro, who's one of the fans. Um, he's a philosophy major and I was telling him and I tweeted him. I was like, Oh my God, dude, you are going to love this. Um, because I think this is a discussion point this show gave us the best of everything that is sci-fi. We had adventure. We had a new planet to look at. You know, we had all these, you know, trials and tribulations and adventures, but at the very end of it, we get this philosophical question that is neither a tidy ending or a definitive ending. It is a discussion. Yeah. That's good. That's sweet. Okay, sorry. Have I talked your ear off? I know. I no, that's great. That's really great. I um, my last thought on the episode is that, like I said earlier, I was so into the mystery part of it, um, that when Dinal revealed herself and explained everything, I was kind of, I was a little let down. I was a little bit, oh, that's not quite the bang up kind of solution to this mystery that I was hoping for. Um, but like you say, like there's still the point of the episode is this kind of discussion at the end. And, and uh, um, yeah, so I don't know. I, I'm a, I'm a two minds on the episode. I, I like the, uh, well, I love the mystery. I love the kind of philosophy at the end. I don't know if they perfectly match up or like just like tonally. I know it was kind of a hard shift for me to make from, uh, uncovering the mystery to okay, now thinking about these really deep things. Yeah. Um, but I like that they're both in there. Yeah, I know a lot of people have been talking about, oh, this is their favorite episode. I love this episode, it's not my favorite. Um, uh, yeah, for right now, my favorite is still, um, um, oh god, I totally lost the name of it. Um, Happy Refrain, um, Happy Refrain is still my favorite. Um, but this one comes pretty close. Uh, this one would definitely be in my top, I don't know, five, even though, you know, beyond the fact that it had Dreamscape and I love Dreamscape so much. <laughs> um, just love that movie. Oh my God. Such a geek out moment. Um, but I, I definitely think 
think this is what maybe Seth was looking for. Um, Seth and David and Brandon, from the very beginning of this, back even when they were doing a little more comedy, they have they have talked about wanting to do sci-fi that is hopeful, that looks to where we're going, to what we're doing. Um, I, I was very lucky to go to the premiere, and I got to talk to um, I talked to David briefly, but I talked to Seth a couple of times, and I was telling him that the one thing I really love about this show is its mirrors and windows. And for anyone who is up on current kind of philosophy, mirrors and windows refers to um, a way of looking at life. We, we look for mirrors because we look for things that reflect back to us, mm-hmm. that show us who we are. But we also look for windows that show us, show us other people that give us a perspective on things outside of ourselves. Um, And that's what I really see the Orville is doing. It is really from the very beginning, from everything that the creators have talked about and to where we are right now, this is a show that is giving us mirrors and windows. And I think this is one of the better examples of mirrors and windows about a girl was a great example of that. Um, yeah. A happy refrain was a, an okay one. Um, what was the one where they went on the krill ship where they, we first met to Leia and um, yeah, they, I'm really bad at episode titles. Yeah, I am too. Um, uh, I think that was actually just krill. Was it just krill? Um, I think that's what they were going for. And I think we are like really getting there. I think the vision that they had is really coming to fruition. I know people have complained about, Oh, you know, it used to be, we're too light. And now it's like, where's the funny? Here's the deal. We're not always funny as a species. We're not. And we, we've got to take those moments where we can see things reflected back on ourselves and then, and relate to them. But we also have to look through the windows. And that's what Denal was doing. She was looking for a window. Mm. And, you know, that's what they found. So I'm excited about where the series is going right now. I I could not be happier. And while this isn't my favorite episode, I think this is one of the best steps to reaching what it feels like the producers and the writers were trying to tell us in season one. Well said. Thank you. <laughs> All right. So um, next week is gently falling rain. Yeah. Yeah. Gently falling rain. I, I, I spent some time looking at people trying to figure out that, uh, that title. And now that we know kind of where we're going, uh, people are still trying to figure it out. And I don't know if we want to share here, but Joe and I have talked. We think we know where that title's from, but I won't say where. <laughs> it's fine. Yeah. Don't don't hold back on my account. Like I, I'm fairly spoiler averse, but speculation I'm all I'm all for. But uh, I'll leave it up to you. 
Yeah, there, there, there's, there's a, uh, a, a Petula Clark song called Music that uh, I think um, I, I think that's I think that's where they're going with the it. The sound yeah. of the the sound of gently falling rain. That's music. The roaring of the train. That's music. Uh, oh God, I can only remember those two lines. Um, yeah. I think it's the Patricia Clark song. Okay, cool. And Ed is such a music fan, and music plays such a part in this thing. I I think at some point he's going to have to describe music to someone, and that song works great. And even if they don't use the words, it is orchestrated, or the orchestral part of it is beautiful song. You should go listen to it. It's, nice. it's a beautiful com, um, composition. And Joe being the resident musician, I'm sure that's why he probably immediately figured it out as well. Yeah, I love how, just talking about episode titles and how they're used or not used within the episode itself. Like, I love it when an episode title refers to something that nobody ever says it in in the episode. Like, you know, the first, um, first episode of the season was Electric Sheep, which is a Philip K. Dick reference that never gets brought up in the episode but if you know that reference you know exactly yeah what it's referring to uh tom tweeted last night that he was surprised no one caught the easter eggs on the um the coming on you know the next week the little trailers they've been putting out the words flashing are lines from the the show hmm. so we know that krill comes first will be in the next episode so cool that's kind of cool yeah. uh <laughs> joe and i should recognize this because we both watched a show where the title of every episode was absolutely a line used in the show every single week for all six seasons huh which was lucifer <laughs> if you go back and look at the title episodes of lucifer Every single one is a line that was used in that that episode. Cool. Yeah. Okay. Well, I think we've run out of content. <laughs> I, never, I think we're done. I never run out of content, but I'll stop. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So uh, yeah. So um, yeah. Gently falling rain next week. Um, Hopefully have Tom on, uh, potentially have Scott, uh, though that may end up coming in a couple of weeks. But um, anyway, um, we're all over the Twitters, uh, Planetary underscore Union. Facebook and Instagram is Planetary Union Network. Also have a website, planetaryunion.net. Hit the YouTube. Um, you know, just search for us there. Get some things from... Uh, from the production crew that is then promptly ripped by other YouTube creators. And, uh, all right. So, um, I know, I know Maddie has an opinion on the, uh, on the closing tagline. Uh, Mike, Michael and I are on Unk smash, but so, so we'll, we'll say, we'll say Unk smash. And then Maddie, you say, <laughs> you, you do. Yours. I made a meme. This is how much I, I believe in it. And it's from a character. I don't even particularly like it. in my mind. I think that it should be 
Yes, sir. Stepping it up. Because that is basically the third season in a nutshell. Everything is stepping it up. Stepping it up. <laughs> All right. Okay, so uh, till next time, uh, I guess Unk Smash and Stepping It Up. Unk Smash. <laughs> May the force be with you. I, I don't even care at this point on what we say. Donkey yeah. huggers oh. or something. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> Don- donkey hugging Jaloja enthusiasts. <laughs> uh, I, I actually like Unk Smash too. I talked about that in the first episode, and someone made a meme of Unk Smash. So nice. I, I like that one too. I'm, I'm willing c- to concede to Unk Smash. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Unk Smash. Unk Smash.